When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Andy Staples Show presented by Sling. And if you're listening a little bit later in the show, you're going to hear me say, well, if Clemson just destroys Georgia Tech, then you won't hear me add anything to this podcast. I watched the game, but I just went to sleep. Well, Clemson beat Georgia Tech by 31 points, covered the spread. But it certainly feels like there's a lot to talk about regarding the Tigers after watching that game. Now, a couple touchdowns set up by block punts. So if you're playing someone who's not Georgia Tech, who can operate a punt correctly, then that's several fewer points. And I got the sense that if they're playing not Georgia Tech tonight, this game's a lot tighter. And the question I think everybody's asking is, is DJ Uyunglele the quarterback to lead Clemson this year? And I think it kind of depends on what you want. They've got to decide, do they want to continue to be a championship contender? Do they want to continue to be a college football playoff team? Do they want to dominate the ACC? And that's the standard they've set. And, and if you go to Clemson's facility, you see the, the, the Senate's all over the, the walls. Best is the standard. So they need to ask themselves, is this the best they can do? And I, I think that's going to be an interesting thing to watch as – the early part of the season goes on because Clemson's got a stretch here where they don't have to really make any decisions. They're playing Furman. They're playing Louisiana Tech. Uh, they're at Wake Forest on September 24th. That may be a, a Wake Forest team still without Sam Hartman. So it feels like they don't need to know what they really are until they play NC State on October 1st. The question is, who will be the quarterback when they play NC State on October 1st. Because you know, I, I went back and forth watching Monday night's game on DJ Uyunglele. At first, I was very much in the, all right, let's see Cade Klubnik. Let's see what he can do. This is getting ridiculous. But as DJ settled in, he started making quite a bit better throws. He, he completed 59% of his passes, but there were quite a few drops. So I, I, I The longer it went, the more I was wondering how much of this is on the receivers and the line versus how much of this is on DJ. And I, I couldn't, I couldn't quite pin it down. And it's really interesting because they did throw Cade Klubnik there late in the game. And it's already decided he leads them on a touchdown drive, looked very good throwing the ball. But again, the situation you can't really judge much from, but I kind of want to see him play a little more now. And I know there's a lot of Clemson fans out there that, that want to see him play a little more now because I do wonder where this goes because Davos Sweeney has faced this situation before and everybody's going to point to 2018 when Kelly Bryant's the in incumbent starter. He had led them to a college football playoff berth the year before in an ACC title. Trevor Lawrence is the true freshman. It's obvious Trevor Lawrence is the more talented guy and 
you know, I, I actually think Dabo Sweeney handled that perfectly. And I know there was a lot of sturm and drang around that time, but in that situation, you had the the four game redshirt rule. It was still a situation where if if Kelly Bryant had played in a fifth game, he's out of eligibility. He doesn't get to play another season, and he wasn't really an NFL prospect. So I I feel like Dabo did right by Kelly Bryant in that season by making that decision after game four, going to Trevor. And obviously it worked out. They won a national title that year. But I go to another season, which I, I feel like maybe was instructive and helped decide what the decision ultimately was in 2018. And that's 2014. 2014 was Deshaun Watson's freshman year. And they threw him in against Georgia. Cole Stout was the starter. And Watson looked very good from the get-go. But Cole Stout remained the starter, was the starter when they went to Tallahassee to play Florida State. If Deshaun Watson had started that game, Clemson would have won that game. He left that game as Clemson's number one quarterback. And I I wonder how much over the years Dabo Sweeney was kicking himself for that one because Clemson would have won that game and also would have won the ACC in 2014 had they gone to Watson early. Well, I say that Watson had a knee injury, wound up playing with a, a torn ACL in South Carolina. I don't know how available he would have been for the ACC championship game at that point, but they would have been in a position to win the ACC. They would have beaten Florida State that year had Watson started earlier, and he was clearly the better quarterback. Now, we haven't seen all the practices, so we don't know if Cade Klubnik is clearly better than DJ Uyunglele, but it certainly felt like in that Georgia Tech game that DJ Uyunglele was being given every opportunity to establish that he is the guy. Now, here's where this situation is different from the Kelly Bryant Trevor Lawrence situation. In that situation, remember, Kelly Bryant was in his final year of eligibility unless he only played four games. Then he was going to get another year, which he did get another year and used it at Missouri. DJ Uyunglele has never redshirted, but it doesn't matter because now you don't have to sit out when you transfer. So assuming Kay Klubnik were to come in and start, you would think DJ would transfer somewhere. Here's where it's also interesting. This is his third year playing, but his first year playing was 2020. 2020 does not count as a year of eligibility for anybody. So he's actually a sophomore by eligibility standards. He would have two more years to play if he decided to, to do something different next year. So the dynamics are a little bit different this time than the Kelly Bryant decision. So it doesn't feel like they need to make any sort of decisions by game four or anything like that. But you do wonder... Would the offense operate more crisply if Kate Klubnik was the guy? And I think they, they made sure that we didn't find that out tonight. Now they they made sure DJ had chances to to pull out of it. And and I would tell it say he did a really good job. That that play in the third quarter, where it was a third down, and he's in the grasp, he's about to get sacked, and he shovels it off to Will Shipley. They get the first down. That felt like it gave him some confidence that, hey. Maybe things aren't going perfectly, but I'm still pretty good at this, and I can I can do what I need to do. And he made some great throws after that. So it might just be a matter of getting his confidence, but I will be curious over the next few weeks because we're, we're going to probably see some extended Cade Klubnik as they play Furman in Louisiana Tech where this goes. Who looks like the better quarterback? Who looks like they're operating the offense more efficiently, more crisply? Because 
the door's open. It feels like it because the goal at Clemson is not have a good season. And that's that's one of those things where you you hear this kind of revisionist history where people say, oh, everybody was down in Clemson last year, but they won 10 games. It was really a great season. Not by their standards, it wasn't. Wake Forest won the ACC Atlantic last year. By the standard that Clemson has set for itself, that means last season was a failure by their standard. So they want to do better than that. They're going to have to decide which guy gives them a chance to do better than that. And I will be fascinated to see who lines up at quarterback when they take the field October 1st against NC State because I think that's the person they probably need to take them where they want to go. And there are games down the stretch. You saw Florida State against LSU on Sunday night. They are they're certainly improved. They're more talented than they have been in years. That's a game they got to worry about. They're at Notre Dame. You saw Notre Dame against Ohio State. Notre Dame's a game they got to worry about. Miami is probably a game they got to worry about. This is not a cakewalk of a season. You know, this is actually probably a harder season for Clemson than, than they've had to deal with. And I, I mentioned NC State earlier. Obviously, they are a team. Clemson has to worry about. They lost to him last year. NC State is one of the most talented teams in the ACC, one of the most talented teams in the country, and has a very good quarterback in Devin Leary. They got a scare by East Carolina on Saturday, but they seem capable of going toe-to-toe athletically with some of the best teams in the country. So we're going to find out. What does Dabo Sweeney do about this? It is a situation that bears watching. Another situation that bears watching that I mentioned later in the show is uh, Kayshawn Boutte at LSU. He had scrubbed his social media of LSU stuff, and we speculate that on that a little bit in the show. I do want to point out that Brody Miller, our, our intrepid LSU reporter at The Athletic, reported that Kayshawn Boutte was at film session on, to, on Monday, that he you know, basically the 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 line that Brody was given is that he scrubbed the, the social media because there was so much negativity flowing in. And listen, after that, watching that LSU game, I, I imagine there was a lot of negativity flowing into all of the LSU folks' social media accounts. So I can't exactly blame him for that as someone who, when I say something that people disagree with, get kind of flooded, but nothing like what I'm sure these guys are getting. So we'll see what happens. That is another situation that bears watching because that is an elite talent who I don't know that he was used the way he needs to be used, but that might be because they don't feel like they can block well enough for the quarterback. The quarterback has had to run for his life a little bit. We'll see what happens with that situation going forward. But yet another situation, just like Clemson and the quarterback, that bears watching. Now, we get into the meat of our show. It's me. It's Ari Wasserman. It is Scott Docterman, our incredible Iowa beat writer who has some great opinions on just about everything. But of course, we kick it off asking him about what the hell is going on with Iowa's offense. Scott, that was a painful, painful display against South Dakota State. Uh, do the Hawkeyes actually practice offense? Sadly, they do. Um, this is, 
I, I mentioned this to you guys before. I've seen some bad offenses here. You know, that last year's was bad. Um, 2016 and 2012 might have been a tie for the worst before Saturday, but um, they had some players out. They were down to one scholarship receiver. But the fact is that when your quarterback goes 11 for 25 and he was much maligned in the offseason and the whole discussion among the fan base was they need a new quarterback, get to the transfer portal, grab one, and then your quarterback goes 11 for 25 and you can't run the football and um, and you're going, I would say toe-to-toe, but it's more like heel-to-heel with the South Dakota State team um, for four quarters. It was uh, – the, the, I just – it's very much not entertainment driven here. In <laughs> no, Boy. it's the opposite of North Carolina Appalachian State, which I'm sure would have given Kirk Ferentz a seizure had he been able to watch that. But they were happening <laughs> concurrently. Uh, is it possible that you're down that Iowa's down receivers because maybe a guy they barely used last year was busy catching 12 balls for 153 yards and a touchdown against Penn State for Purdue? That's a major factor. Um, Charlie Jones was, uh, you know, he he started a few games last year. He was the Big Ten return specialist of the year and had, I think, 21 catches on 37 targets last year. So, you know, roughly, what, two catches a game or catch and a half in a game. Yeah, he, he's going to surpass that in game two. Yeah, right. He had 19 the other day. So um, he knew when he graduated in May that in order to – boost his stock for the NFL, which was his whole goal in returning for year six, that he was going to have to go somewhere else. And Purdue, he and Aiden O'Connell were good friends growing up. And he he went through the spring at Iowa. He was clearly number one or two on the as, as far as the receivers go. But he knew that he was going to get opportunities at Purdue and Richard Iowa. Yeah, yeah, maybe he would have gotten five or six targets the other day, but he might have gotten one or two catches out of it. This is what I don't understand. Is that not a giant warning flag? They're so good at defense. They're so good at special teams. Like Phil Parker, LeVar Woods get it done every single year. How does this keep happening where they just, they're so incompetent on offense? They've never evolved. They've been the same damn offense for the last 20 years. And it was great in 2002. And you'll hear Kirk talk about it because of the anniversary. Brad Banks, I mean, they averaged 37 points a game. They're undefeated in the Big Ten. Uh, they, they blew people off the, you know, they had three All-Americans on the offensive line. And they've, but they've never evolved it. I mean, you know, even last week, they only had one jet sweep. I mean, everybody knows where it's going to go on outside and inside zone. They're there. The it's jet like, sweep was a new thing in 2006. Exactly. <laughs> but it was it was like the wing T, which I ran in high school. Everybody knows, okay, they're all flying this way, so everybody runs that way. And their offensive line is, is fairly inexperienced, so they're able to undercut everybody and, and get to the ball. But it's like you've got to give them something they're not prepared for. And for Iowa, that's anything but the outside zone. And, and – it, it's really causing some major issues among the fan base because this is a very passionate fan base. They sold out the entire season. They caused eight false starts on Saturday because it's so loud there when they redid the stadium. It keeps all the noise in. It destroyed Penn State last year. Um, you know, and the funny part is in basketball, Iowa's led the Big Ten in scoring the last four years. So they get up and down. You know, it's like, if they so can, wait, wait. Are you, are you saying Fran McCaffrey should place replace Brian Ferentz? Are, are are we saying that on this? Are we going to be a Fran McCaffrey for OC podcast? 
Yes, and I think Phil Parker should be his defensive coordinator as well because that was part of the problem with him. <laughs> How fast would Fran McCaffrey get thrown off the field as an assistant screaming at an official? Oh, well, That's it wouldn't passion. be that much different than Brian Ferentz. <laughs> He's had his issues too. We'll be right back after this message from one of our lovely sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. But Scott, the thing that we haven't talked about yet, that is important to discuss is the roar in that stadium <laughs> when it was five to three and the second safety came. Like, I think dishes broke in my cupboard just from the roar. I mean, you can't, you can't even possibly begin to articulate how awesome that roar was, right? Like, am I like the Ohio? Was that like a, were they mocking almost? I don't even know. Like, I, it felt like they just won the national title. That's what they call a uh, Sioux Falls, or I'm sorry, Sioux City, uh, a Sioux City cheer. <laughs> yeah. It's not a Bronx cheer, it's a Sioux City cheer. It was loud. It, it was Cedar incredible. Falls. Um, the booing was almost as loud, and that started in the first quarter. So anybody who, yeah, both safeties, you know, had, uh, you know, some significant roars. I would also say that there was a lot of Bronx cheers, or if you want to call them Sioux City cheers, if you will, even though that's Cedar Falls cheer will work too. Yeah, Cedar Falls, Cedar Rapids, uh, take your pick. But it was, uh, yeah, the the booing was louder than I've ever heard, except for when it's been like an opposing, uh, you know, they, they got screwed by the refs on a play or something like that. So it's something that was almost uncomfortable at times. But if you're Kirk Ferentz, you, you had to have expected this. When back in February, when longtime consigliere Ken O'Keefe stepped down, there was a bunch of people who thought, okay, finally, something new, something different in the passing game. And instead, no, let's ship Brian Ferentz to quarterback's coach. And, you know, they dabbled. They looked in the past, in the transfer portal. They didn't sign anybody. They lost four wide receivers in the, in the transfer portal. Nobody out of, they signed nobody out of the transfer portal. And here you are when you have a, a wave of injuries in the preseason and you have one receiver who's available and your quarterback for three years, um, whose completion percentage is almost 50% career wise is there. And everybody saw what happened against Michigan. This defense is capable of competing at a very high level, uh, top 10, top five level. Same thing with punter Tory Taylor. And the offense is not even good enough for the FCS at this point. Hey, Scott. So the thing that I want to know is if you've got people leaving out of the portal to go, like we mentioned at the beginning of the show, to go catch 100 balls at Purdue and, you know, you're not signing anybody at the quarterback position uh, in the portal or receivers coming in, like you just mentioned, and recruits probably aren't all that jazzed up about the offensive direction of the program. How do you fix it? Like what, like what is the thing that has to happen in order to move forward? It's a great question because it's one that every year we try to ask. They, they actually put 
two receivers in the NFL, um, Amir Smith-Barsett and Brandon Smith, who are on rosters, one on uh, practice team, one on uh, the Bears roster right now. And, and they're both pretty good, but they never really followed that up. And really the issue was was quarterback because the quarterback before uh, Spencer Petras, Nate Stanley, was pretty decent. He had two tight ends that he hit on. He's, I think, 13th all-time touchdown passes with 68 in the Big Ten. So he's he's... They had somebody there, but the inaccuracy at quarterback is what is scaring away wide receivers currently. They they were supposed to bring back their top five, uh, but two transferred to Purdue. One was really underperformed. The other one was Charlie Jones, who was a big hit. And then two others are hurt. So it really it, it killed them. But, yeah, how do you prove that? How do you go to a wide receiver and say, come, make, come play for me? Now, what if, you if only do, if only there were a way to get a player who could come from another school and not sit out of here and play right? Oh wait, you can do that now. <laughs> you know, all they have to do is go to a MAC school or a Mississippi Valley school, which is a really good FCS conference. See a couple players there and grab them. Have them come in and at least look decent. Now, quarterback, I, I'm at a I'm aghast, and I think everybody else is too. We all saw this the last two years that quarterback was the reason that really held Iowa back 2020 and 2021. Why wouldn't you go out and get somebody if you don't feel like somebody's going to take you to a higher level? That one is, is the most surprising. Andy, I'll ask you this and then you can relay it to Scott. I just don't want to put him on the spot yet, but okay. I want to know what your uh, opinion all right, is. All right. All right. I'm excited. Are coaches not named Nick Saban supposed to be the head coach at the same place for 20 years anymore? You know, I don't even think it's that. You, I, I don't think it's that. I don't need to relay that one to Scott. I, I don't think it's that. I think, because I saw this happen in Tallahassee once, this is a case of a guy who's got his kid in a position that his kid doesn't need to be in, that his kid isn't good enough to be in, and he won't make a change. It took Bobby Bowden getting shut out by Wake Forest to realize, okay, Jeffy can't do it. So he went out and hired Jimbo Fisher and magically everything got better. <laughs> Funny how that works. Yeah. So that's the thing. I mean, you, you, I mean, I guess if you, you, you can coach somewhere for a long time, as long as you don't let yourself get stale. But if you keep doing the same thing that doesn't work over and over, it's, you're going to get stale. We talked about this on the show after, after the games on Saturday night. And we talked about, you know, the position that his son's in. But is Kirk Ferentz stale? No, because the, the other two units are good. They keep developing good offensive linemen, good tight ends. Like the, 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 the parts aren't broken. The hole is broken because they, they have one spot where it doesn't work. And now they've got a guy who came up as an O-line coach and was a very good O-line coach coaching quarterbacks. The quarterbacks aren't good. So... It doesn't really take a rocket surgeon to figure out where where the problem is. No question. And offense has been an issue for 10 years. I mean, when they hired Greg Davis um, to, to replace Ken O'Keefe the first time in 2012, I mean, they threw seven touchdown passes that year. And it never really got There was better. a reason he got run off at Texas, too. Like, exactly. hire someone who's up and coming. Yeah. <laughs> That's like... Somebody yeah, doing seem, something different. <laughs> it seems to me that Iowa's offensive, uh, I don't know what the word would be here. That's not really mean. But offensive struggles have 
have been almost a decade long. You know, because when I covered the Big Ten, I feel like they were always viewed the way they're kind of viewed now. Defense is going to hit you in the mouth. It's going to be really hard to score points. They're going to be great on special teams. You can't make a mistake. You can't give them a chance or an opportunity to to capitalize on your mistakes. But if you can put up some points on the board, they're going to have a hard time. And it's just like Iowa has been a team that's competed all the time in the Big Ten West since the beginning of my time in the Big Ten. Then it just seems like they are one piece of evolution away from owning that side of the conference. Well, and, and I'm not I'm not even saying go air raid. Like let's take the Florida Utah game last weekend, for example. So you have Andy Ludwig, the, the Utah offensive coordinator. Billy Napier is actually Florida's offensive coordinator, but you, you could go off that tree if you wanted to. Like those are two guys who are running very physical smash mouth offenses, but also figure out ways to get the ball out. I mean, Andy Ludwig, who do they throw to the most at Utah? The tight end. Like, he's perfect. I don't know if he'd leave, but that's the sort of th- There's person. certainly variations of the spread where you can be a run-first offense, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. And in fact, the game feels like it's headed back that direction. Like, maybe someone off Munkin's tree at Georgia. Now, if you look at the offense that they're running, that would be perfect at Iowa. It, it, there, there are ways to do this without completely selling out who you are. And I, I like, I'm not saying Kirk Ferentz needs to retire because I actually think look at all the other stuff. It's, it's going fine. There's one, one part. That's the problem. No question. I mean, the last four years, they have the seventh highest winning percentage of any power five team. They're winning games. The difference is, are they going to win championships? And it's offense that's really holding them back. I mean, they're not going to get the five-star guys like, you know, Ari promotes, you know, at at Ohio State. What they have to do is they have to develop them from Mm -hmm. three stars to four and a half to five stars. And they have. They've done that throughout his whole career. It's just, you know, right now in the zone blocking scheme works. But you can't rely on it. The hottest offense in the NFL is based off wide zone uh, just wide zone runs. I mean, th- they are, they're actually right where they kind of need to be with the exception of evolving the passing game. Exactly. And it goes, even though they're not, they're not be signing five-star prospects, you know, like I know that I'm Mr. Promoting five-star prospects, but there are a lot of very good football teams that don't sign five-star prospects. And it's just like, if you go back and you look at the comparison that you made, like to Ohio state and the, and the recruits, the way that Ohio state ran offense in 14, when they went, when they ran the, to the national championship after losing Virginia tech. Could Iowa not run a version of that offense where you have one deep threat, but your offensive line mauls people you have a, I mean, Iowa's had really good running backs, haven't they? And then you get a, an above average or average quarterback who can throw a ball deep and just maul people that way. Like, I mean, it's, you don't, I don't think you need to go recruit the number three class in the country to build up an offensive scheme that could work really well there. And I think Iowa, in this world of the expanded playoff, which we'll get to, Iowa's one of those teams that's kind of like right on the doorstep of of being in that that 12 to 9 spot every year, right? Yeah, I mean, two years ago was probably as good as they've been since 2009. And that includes the 2015 year. They lost their first two games very close. And then they went on a six-game streak where they won five out of the last six by at least double digits, beat Michigan State 49-7, to beat Penn State by 20, beat Wisconsin by 21. And they were ascending in that direction. They were a quarterback shy of probably being undefeated playing Justin Fields in Indianapolis. And I would have said they would have had their defense especially, they would have had a shot in Indy. They were that good by the end of the year. 
And they had that type of deep threat in Amir Smith-Marset, who's a 4-3 guy, and scored three touchdowns in three different ways in one quarter against USC in a, in a bowl game. And, uh, but, you know, they've got to continuously recruit those guys. They've got to, they've got to make sure that receivers and skill position players are always at a decent level, and they're not. And the problem is that everybody knows what they're going to do running the ball. And if they're inexperienced, which they are now up front, and you don't have a quarterback who's very accurate, it, the whole thing caves in. And, and I think it's, it's stale. I think the biggest problem that they've shied away from and it's systemic is that they are very reluctant to get somebody who's a dual threat. And if you can't complete 65% in a pro style, you better have somebody who can get you, you know, third and six, get you eight. And they have not had that really. Bethard could do it. But before that, it was probably Brad Banks 20 years ago. And that's just, that's the game's evolved. College football, it need, you need that in college football. And, and Iowa has just been so reluctant to, to make that change. So other, other than take the under, what do we think is going to happen against Iowa State on, on Saturday? Because these Cyhawk games, I mean, Iowa has been pretty dominant, even as Iowa State has gotten better. But I would assume if they play the way they did on Saturday, they're going to struggle against the Cyclones. It's a weird series. And the one thing I will say about Iowa, I mean, I would pick Iowa state all day and night. If the, if everything matched, uh, the, the if it seeing. wasn't this series, yeah. yeah. Uh, but Iowa bounces back in weird fashion. I mean, like the game that one of the biggest upsets to me was when Iowa beat Michigan in 2016, when Michigan was nine and Oh, and, Iowa had nothing on offense at all. And yet they came back to win after giving up almost 600 yards at Penn State. And so I could see a renewed better effort. Iowa State hasn't beaten Iowa since 2014. But that said, I, I think the Cyclones are probably a better team. And Iowa's defense is going to hang on by its fingernails through four quarters and lose like 10 to three. That's kind of where I'm, I'm at right now. Wild game between Florida State and LSU in New Orleans. And congratulations to Florida State. I, I think in biggest win, probably since the Orange Bowl win against Michigan, Jimbo's next to last year. But maybe it's maybe it's the biggest win since the national title game. I mean, it's it was a huge win for Florida State. For LSU, it was it was all kinds of, of terrible. Uh, we learned on Monday that that Mason Smith, the great defensive lineman, out for the year with a torn ACL reports are Brody Miller at the athletic and, and guys, he heard it celebrating. Like it's, it was a, you, you just, you just cringed when you watched it. Cause you were like, Oh no, 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 not, not like this, but he's out. And as we record this, uh, Kayshawn Boutte has scrubbed all LSU images from his Instagram, which is 2022. We know what that means. Yeah. Um, Quick question for both of you. More exciting finish to a football game before we get into the nitty-gritty. App State, North Carolina, or that one? LSU, Florida State. Just because of, of going down the fields, kind of methodically. Now, it was a little weird there right before the last play, and I don't know why you'd call timeout and let them snap the ball. Like, make them snap the ball at the ready for play because they might not have been able to get it off. Yeah, yeah, that was... Yeah. That was something, but like the entire um, muffed putt, um, muffed punt return fumble at Twice. the other goal line. Two yeah. of those, yeah. But the, but the sequence between, oh yeah, yeah, the muffed punt where it looked like they scooped it and scored. Yep. 
um, to fumbling the ball going yeah, in. Yeah, run, running Les Miles' favorite play on the goal line, that little pitch toss. Yeah, where, and, and it was. Yeah, that the was sport wild. is bananas. It's a bananas <laughs> sport, um, and I I feel like that was an. And I don't know what's what we're in for, uh, you know, for the rest of the season. But guys, that that was a hell of a, a first weekend of football and, and dramatic football. And yeah, um, yeah. So, wow. Programming note, by the way. If you heard something about the Clemson-Georgia Tech game before this, it's because I time-traveled and recorded something right after that game. If you didn't, it's because that game was super boring and Clemson beat them 150 to nothing. So just just warning you now. That's it. If you're wondering, did, did Andy stay up and watch that game? Well, if it was like that, then I stayed up and watched it, but then I didn't record anything extra. So now you know. But guys, the Brian Kelly era... It looks, I guess, better because they were they were right there at the end. But like, did you guys see the three the three pick of the various extra points that LSU tried, where Florida State could have blocked every one of them? Yeah, yeah, I saw the one uh, where the defenders just kind of standing there waiting, almost like, um, and then almost a setup for the last. Yeah. And, uh, you know, where, where he could have ran in on any of the three. But then, of course, the last one was so uh, dramatic. But what? And there was a blocked field goal in the game, wasn't there? Mm-hmm. Earlier in the game, didn't LSU have a field goal blocked? I, or tipped? I can't remember. I was I was in between planes, so I didn't. Yeah, I, didn't I don't know. I, I was play. in Las Vegas in, uh, in a... Uh, haze filled uh afternoon but like i thought there was another there was another field goal that they either missed or was tipped or blocked but, but it, here's, here's the thing if you're gonna fire at orgeron and say well they were disorganized and and they didn't they didn't take care of the little details like that was the least buttoned up you've ever seen a team so brian kelly's got a lot of work to do and his staff has a lot of work to do because they did not look like they were prepared for that game. Their offensive line certainly wasn't prepared for that game. And, and I right. don't know if it's a it's an ability thing or a scheme thing. They did seem to get better as the game went on. But, you know, I, I the Keishon Boutte thing, I, I'm guessing the level of frustration stems from the fact that they picked the quarterback who doesn't throw as well as the other guy. Yeah, yeah. And, like, I'll give Jaden Daniels a little credit because it was just like the entire offense was him running around for three quarters. Yes. And then he led a – hundred yard drive with a minute and whatever seconds left to to tie the game at the end. And they scored on a passing play, but it just seemed like that offense was completely hopeless for three quarters. And the other thing too, on LSU's defense was Florida state, like a hundred for a hundred on third down conversions in that game. Yes. Like I basically. felt like Florida state was like in third and six and or plus like at least 10 different times in that game and converted on, on most of them. So, you know, I don't know how much you lay at the, at the feet of Brian Kelly, who's taking over a new program and trying to get things right. But um, certainly they had the talent advantage and it looked like in every facet of the game that they didn't, which I think is a problem. Well, yeah, Florida State looked like the better coach team uh, that the, the, the call of the toss on the uh, on the goal line, notwithstanding, by the way, scoring was not what you needed to do. Running out the clock was what you needed to do. Either make them right. use all their timeouts or run out the clock. Like, that's a, a if anything, this weekend was a lesson of sometimes scoring is not the best thing to try to do. North Carolina, if the guy just falls on the onside kick, none of that other heart attack inducing stuff happens. Yeah. 
you know, all, all he all he needed to do was was take a couple of knees, kick a field goal, and you win by ten, or you're up by ten. Right. And there's no chance of coming back. So, uh, to to do that, it kind of reminds me of uh, the Colts Steelers game from the playoffs like 15 years ago, where you know the bus tried to break in and then you know almost went back completely the other way, and and uh, so you know really a a situation that Norvell is. I, I think he survived because of the bad extra point. But if it goes in overtime and LSU wins, we're roasting Mike Norvell for that. Oh, at, yeah, at the because the it, it's it's the it, it's the implosion. It's this, this, that. Now they get to celebrate it. Everybody's roasting Brian Kelly. I think realistically, Brian Kelly was going to get roasted any way you want because LSU fans expect quite a bit mm-hmm. because they usually have better players than everybody else and usually should be competing for titles. And I'm sure they're very frustrated because they're looking at the SEC West and going, well, where would Florida State finish in the SEC West? Yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, Florida State's probably in there with what everybody after uh, A&M and, of course, Alabama. I mean, is could be an eight or nine win team could be a six win team. I mean, Mississippi state looked awfully good the other day. And that's, that's an old team that has been coached by the same people for a while now. And like that, that's LSU's first sec opponent. They play Southern next week. Then they got Mississippi state. They got to get a lot better because my guess is Mississippi state isn't going to make the same kind of mistakes that, that Florida state did. And you're going to have to just beat them. And that's, that's not going to be easy. We'll be right back after these words. I'll be curious to see how this Keishon Boutte thing works out because, listen, not every scrubbed Instagram means that that mm-hmm. someone's out. Usually, uh, there's a there's a little discussion. You know, you had Kyler Murray scrubbing his Instagram. He winds up getting a big contract. I don't know if it's a big contract situation yeah. for Keishon Boutte. I think it's more of a how am I being used? Am I am I really getting anything out of this? Because you know, he's just watched Jamar Chase sit out a year, not be affected at all, but, but when he got to the NFL, so. I mean, I've scrubbed every Instagram that I've ever had of every girlfriend that I broke up with. (laughs) Well, I mean, is there any? Is there there not all player presidents like you, Ari? Well, I mean, it's been that's happened twice. Is that (laughs) for a fifteen year period? Is that a is that a lot? Am I a player? Uh, No, it's just like funny uh, because if you're if you're in his position, though, like I kind of understand why you would be tempted. Not that he is doing that, but would be tempted to do that. Yeah. Um, if you if you that, feel that's like, not a transfer situation, that's a if if he's leaving, he's just sitting out and going to the draft. Yeah, because I mean, how many targets did he have? I mean, he didn't did he catch a pass until the, was it the fourth quarter when he, he caught his he, first yeah, pass? It, yeah, and they did target him, but he did drop a couple too. Now he did. they were targeting him in situations where it looked like he was going to get his head knocked off because they, they were they were trying to you know, squeeze it in there on that little slant up top or that little you know just a little short route mm-hmm. up top. And there's almost always a safety and a corner sitting right there on top of him. So it, it is going to be an interesting next few weeks as they figure that part out, because that's a, that's a very, you know, Keisha Boutte, there aren't many receivers as talented as him, but honestly, if you can't, if you can't get him the ball in a, in a position to make plays, is it worth it to him to even be there? When he can just yeah. wait and catch passes from an NFL quarterback next year. What I was going to ask you too, uh, before we, I, I, if you have something to add, Scott, about Kayshawn, go ahead because I was going to change the subject. Well, yeah, I mean, he, had, he only had six targets, two catches, you know, and, and somebody that talented, you probably should get the at least get it near him 
eight plus times a game. So I, I think that's something that Brian Kelly needs to examine if he's willing to, and uh, he probably will have to in order to keep him in the fold. And not maybe this week is different, but you know, games four, five, and six, you got to keep a guy like that engaged all season long. And if that doesn't yeah. happen, it's not worth it to him to. Stick not even around. just for his sake, but for the team's sake. I mean, because yeah. it didn't look like they had a lot of other options there. Um, but the what question I was going to ask you, Andy, is, and I'm going to tell you before I, I ask, have you looked at Florida State's five-game stretch starting on October 1st? Now I got to refresh my memory. I'll yeah. tell you. October 1st, first Wake Forest. Sneaky, tough game against a team that that can do stuff. Don't Top know 20. if Sam Hartman will be back. Yeah, okay. But, but that's enough time where he could conceivably be back. You know, right. it's a month from now. October 8th at NC State. Oh, boy. October 15th, home against Clemson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, then October 29th, they get a little a little break against Georgia Tech at home. Okay. And then on November 5th at Miami. Uh, it, there's your season right there. But here's the thing. After what I saw against LSU, Florida State going 3-2 and two in that stretch would not shock me. And I think if I'd have told you before any of game any of the games were played that Florida State would go three and two in that stretch and beat LSU, you're feeling pretty good about this year for Florida State compared to what you've seen over the last four years. Yeah, I mean, I was just going to ask you. You spent a lot of time in, in Tallahassee. You've been there, right? Like, what what is your take on that? We talked a lot about LSU and what this means for them. But like, is is Florida State up now? Or are, are they going to put the word out that they're back up? Well, they've been getting back up. I, I think if you watched their season at all last year, like the, the thing about them is nationally, everybody turned them off after they lost to Jacksonville State because there's like they you know they played the good game against Notre Dame, very close, and then they lose to Jacksonville State. It's like oh, they're still a long, long way from being anywhere close to good. They got better as last season went on. Jordan Travis asserted himself. He, he you know really took control of the job, and. You could tell the offensive line was playing better, which is something that had been a huge problem. So Alex Atkins, who's their their offensive coordinator now, after Kenny Dillingham left for Oregon, he's the offensive line coach as well. He's done a good job getting that group better. And then, you know, they lost Jermaine Johnson, but they bring in Jared Verse from Albany, who was kind of the the hot FCS transfer up guy in the whole country this year. And I think talent-wise, and, and Mike Norvell said this, I saw him at the ACC spring meetings and he said it feels like the talent is cl- much closer to what you'd think a Florida State team talent-wise will look like. And because, I mean, I don't think it's a secret that those guys were were kind of surprised when they got there at what they inherited. You know, it's Florida State. You assume, even if they've had some down years, that there's always that there's some dudes there. There weren't a ton of dudes there. And now it feels like they've gotten that closer to the level they want. It's not what... It's not what it was when Bobby Bowden really had it rolling. I mean, those guys were the baddest team in the universe for a long time, but it is much better. And so, like I said, if you can beat LSU, which they've got it, they've already got that one in the bag, and then you go three and two against that stretch that Ari just threw out there, or maybe even four and one, because who knows? With let's let's say Sam Hartman's not back for Wake, you may be able to win that game too, or you may be able to beat NC State. That's a little harder in Raleigh. Uh, but I feel like that's a good year for Mike Norvell. You know, we people keep asking, well, when's when's Dion going to go to Florida State? 
I don't think they're going to fire Mike Norvell. I think Mike Norvell is is going to be fine. Yeah. Well, I, I was going to say in the the sixth game in that stretch is at Syracuse, and based on the way they played against Louisville and what Sean Tucker could do, that one might be actually a, a quite a mm-hmm. challenge, especially at that juncture of the season. So it, it's going to be a lot of proving for Mike Norvell. But you know, if he if he's eight and four, seven and five, is that Hey, he's moving in the right direction, or is so. it? Hey, next year you're on the hot seat. I, I think if he's eight and four, they're going to want more improvement next year. But I, I would say that's acceptable improvement. Now you mentioned Louisville; that's one that they need. That's their next game. Now they they get an open date this weekend, and then the play they play Louisville on a Friday night. But that's one. I, you know how I feel about going anywhere on a weeknight that isn't used to getting that national spotlight. Louisville's going to be, you know, yep. going to be going for that game. And Malik Cunningham, he can play. So that's the part where you, you got to be careful. You can't, none of these things are assumed. Winning the games you're supposed to win, I, I feel like is the most important building block for a team. And so that's where Florida State has, has got to get to. They, they've now won one they, that we didn't think they were going to win. Now go win one you're supposed to win. Beat Boston College in another game you're supposed to win, and then that stretch begins. And and yeah, guys, if, if they're three and two in that stretch, that would put them at eight and two. That team I'm feeling absolutely, really good about that. I think that team absolutely could go four and one in that stretch. I don't think it's yeah. a, I don't think it's an insane an insane thing to say. I think they could beat NC State. Now going on the road will be tough, but you know if they get things rolling and get things together, yeah. It, oh, by, by the way, we are a bad at math podcast. So they went four and one, they'd be eight and one in that stretch. If they went three and two, they'd be seven and two. Either way, you're feeling pretty good about about where they're at as a program compared to where they've been. So mm-hmm. we'll see. I mean, it, it's I want to see them come out against Louisville and look the way they looked against LSU. And then and then we'll talk. Yep. There's gonna be a 12 team playoff. At the latest 2026, at the earliest 2024. Guys, we, we've had a few days to digest this. Are you surprised that all of the stuff that got talked about for the better part of a year just melted away and the presidents were like, oh, yeah, let's just go ahead and do that? It's the most college football thing ever, right? <laughs> Feels like it. No, I'm not surprised. I, I knew really it's it's all about the Big Ten once its media rights agreement was set. And it's all right, let's just go ahead and do this because, you know, they have – if anything, I was surprised that they actually went with six and six as the model. I thought that the Big Ten and SEC would strong arm it to four, four and eight, because they're going to, they're the ones that stand the most to gain. I think they're going to have the most representation in an at large system, but I, I didn't think there was much more for the Big Ten to hold out for at that point. Do you think that six and six is better uh, than four and eight for the regular season experience? I think it's better for inclusion, for, for making other leagues feel included, which I think is a financial motivation. Like, if you're the Big Ten in the SEC, yes, you can get more teams in if you did a four guaranteed conference champion spots and, and then eight at-larges. But you probably leave out a couple of leagues at that point because those two spots probably go to the Big Ten and to the SEC or you know maybe an ACC team maybe a Big 12 team, but probably a Big 10 and SEC. I think they're looking at this and saying, from a long game perspective, 
this keeps the the casual audience bigger because if I'm an Oklahoma State fan, if I'm a Washington State fan, we've talked about this before, I'm not interested in watching Michigan, Ohio State, or Alabama, Auburn if those leagues, if it feels to me like they have just X'd me out of the entire fabric of college football, that they've kicked me down a level. So I, I'm not going to watch those games. So they would have been hurting their own audience by doing that. And that hurts your future TV deals. That hurts your future playoff TV deal and your future, your own TV deal. You want to make the sport as big nationally as you can. This is how you do that. But also, too, by by having those two extra qualifiers or uh, automatic qualifiers for other conferences, there's more of a scarcity for the Big Ten and the SEC to get other Correct. teams in, which might make more dramatic football games for that third-tier, second-tier team that is trying to sneak in at number 12. Because yes. if it's if that spot's being taken up by one of those outsider conferences that's not in the, the super conference picture, then at least we can kind of maintain some sort of regular season drama uh, in mm-hmm. those other games that the games that you think are going to be highlighted, the, the Iowa Michigan state game, maybe in November Correct. becomes more yeah. important than it was uh, a few years. And like, to me, you know, my number one criticism of the whole thing has always been worrisome of regular season drama. And I think that six and six is infinitely better in that regard than, than four and eight would have been right. Think, think about like a Minnesota, Wisconsin mm-hmm. game. The, uh, like a couple years ago, the Minnesota, Wisconsin game when Wisconsin was, was better, like it would have made kind of would have made a twelve team playoff, but then lost to Minnesota and would have been out of a twelve team playoff in that situation. I, that game becomes huge because that means somebody else is getting in. That mm-hmm. means there's somebody in another league or in right. another you know who, who's like, oh, now we're in, and mm-hmm. so that's how you get everybody watching everything. Well, exactly. I mean, if you're talking about the Egg Bowl on a Thursday night, yeah. And- Old Miss is nine and two, and you're uh, a Gopher fan or you're a Badger fan. You're paying attention to that, maybe even over the NFL game, because it really matters whether or not they're going to be the 12th team or the you know, or you're going to be the 12th team. And then likewise, I think this is really good for for the two superpowers because then it they don't benefit from a down sport outside of them, at least not now. And I think right. so if you can get. Okay, Oregon, Washington, we know you want to be in the Big Ten, but right now it's probably best to stabilize the sport and stabilize the West Coast because of viewership. And maybe Oregon and or Washington, every other year, one of them is going to be in the playoff or in the Great Plains areas or, you know, BYU. Engage everybody at this point. Uh, I think it's really a smart way to go. Um, the, the other, the thing that I didn't like of, of all of this is, and I, I, don't, I want to know what you guys think is I wanted the second round to be at host sites at campuses. I yes. like, I love the first site, but man, you know, there's just nothing like, you know, let's say Alabama playing Wisconsin in, in uh, Tuscaloosa. Uh, Scott, in I, I haven't given up on that long-term. I think they have to do it this way for the, if they're going to do it in 24, they have to do it this way with the bulls because the bulls are already under contract. And you're not going to be able to break the contract with the Bulls. They're not going to voluntarily leave. But if, you, if you're not doing an entirely new deal, if you're going to make a new deal in 26, maybe you say, hey, we tried it those first two years. We didn't really think it was all that great with the quarterfinals and the Bulls. So we're just going to put those on campus now. And, and I, I cannot wait for that because I, I think that'd be great. Because 
that's part that should be part of the reward for earning the buy and being one of the top four seeds is you get a home game. And so I, I think that will that will be maybe something that can be changed in that next deal that you probably can't because you have those those six bulls under contract right now. And Scott, the thing that you said about uh a game where Wisconsin goes to Tuscaloosa, mm-hmm. I can't wait for the time when Alabama has to go to Wisconsin. Right. That's yeah. what that, and you know, it's going like to happen. It, yeah. yeah. Things like that will happen. So, you know, like I think that we, me and you have, have punched each other back and forth about my opinion about the regular season. And I don't think we have to do that again because people get it. The one thing I will say that I am excited for is, is this fresh outlook on how we consume the game. Mm-hmm. Like we well, have become so accustomed over the years since 2014 to to view regular season games and to discuss it in a certain context. And when that context shifts, our entire basis of how we approach our jobs, our discussions, what our debates are going to be um, on this podcast, um, what games we're going to be talking the most about, like in two or three years – the biggest game of the week instead of the Alabama LSU game, which is between number one and number three, that has no bearing on the on the playoff, might take a back seat to that that Minnesota Wisconsin game mm-hmm. or that that Washington State Oregon game. Yeah. Um, and to me, that highlights more fan bases, and that to yeah. me is exciting. And like I, I know that I haven't been Mister Inclusion because I just don't want to let people in because they're in, but. Once the playoff expand or the uh, conferences expanded, I think this is a necessity because I think we can all agree, me, you, and everybody listening to the show, that the last thing on earth that we want for the sport is for for major fan bases on the West Coast or in the Plains areas or all these other areas to feel alienated. I don't want anybody at any school to feel completely alienated from the sport. No, I and and also there's some really passionate fan bases that now get to be part of a playoff <laughs> race, and like I don't know. Look at the new lineup of the Sun Belt. It's a bunch of schools that have always cared deeply about football, or even if they're new at like Coastal Carolina is kind of new at it, but they love it. And so it's like Appalachian State, Georgia Southern, Coastal Carolina, Marshall. Uh, you know, Old Dominion's new to it, but did you see that crowd they had against Virginia Tech? Like, if you have a great year and win the Sun Belt, you're now going to have a chance to make the playoff. You know who should be ex- most excited about this? Like UTSA. So UTSA is moving to the American right after UCF, Cincinnati, and Houston move out. Like UTSA is going to be able to walk into the American and compete right off the bat. And you could maybe compete for a playoff spot. Make the, the case that UTSA has an easier path to the playoff than the teams that left that conference to go oh, to I, a I, power five. I think it's an absolutely easy playoff. Case. It's yeah. hilarious. Like when you yeah, think you about it, these teams have been Memphis, starved. Navy, and SMU. Like I like when I was living in Ohio, the Cincinnati fan base had been starved and passionately starved for years about mm-hmm. being back into a quote unquote power five. Mm-hmm. And now that it doesn't exist anymore, they might make more money in their television rights deal, but like they're not better situated now to make the playoff than they were before. And if they would have stayed put, mm-hmm. like you could run the American and be like a team that's in the playoff every year. Um, so you know, that to me, I think is a fun aspect of all this too. The the, the big 12 is going to be the most entertaining conference in America. Mm-hmm. I, I just, there's no question about that because 
they're going to have years where eight or nine teams go into the season with legitimate chances to win the conference title. And the winner of that one's going to be one of the top six ranked conference champs most years. So it's, it's going to be like this. Those games are going to be so much fun. I, I really like this because the group of five has kind of been dominated by the American when you've had Cincinnati, especially lately, but UCF, um, Houston, you know, to an extent, you know, Memphis. And now I think it, it really kind of levels off with, with Cincinnati, Houston and UCF going to the Big 12. And as you mentioned, the Sun Belt to me is one of the more entertaining conferences in the country. If you look at Louisiana, I saw them a couple of years ago in that COVID year beat Iowa State. Thoroughly, yeah. you know, Iowa State won the Fiesta Bowl. I could see, uh, you know, a team like that, you know, maybe a Louisiana squeaks in as a 12 and they go play the ACC champ who might be a five and winning on the road. And, and likewise, you know, an Oklahoma State under Mike Gundy, if they get in the playoff and they're throwing it 50, 60 times, or if they have the defense that they've had the last few years with Malcolm Rodriguez, I mean, they, they could be very competitive. So I, I really enjoy the fact that they're going to do this. It engages everybody throughout the country. It allows – and I, the one thing I wonder with the group of five is, is there ever going to be some sort of coalition to maybe have a pre-playoff playoff? You know, maybe the best two teams from those five leagues decide or, you know, maybe there's a, you know, a chance to play on the on Thanksgiving weekend, for instance. And then the, the winner kind of advances up. That would be like a bracket buster situation. Yeah. That'd be kind of yeah. fun. Hey, Scott, and, can and I ask you this? Sorry oh, not to interrupt ahead. you, Andy, but, you know, me and uh, Andy and I have always argued and I, I've had mailbag questions about this of of the recruiting aspect. And in my in my position, that'd be remiss if I didn't ask you. But we always talk about like, will the expanded playoff have a a reasonable impact on these second tier teams that are trying to to go somewhere? And I think Iowa probably falls into that category with the Penn States and and the teams that are trying to. Do you think, from your standpoint, covering the team as long as you have and being the Big Ten expert, that Iowa being an eleven seed or a twelve seed for a few years? in this playoff format will have a tangible difference on what they're trying to do in, in the recruiting realm? Absolutely. I think that there's, there are certain tiers of course in the big 10 and, and I would say, uh, you know, we, we've joked for years, even before way back in legends and leaders and stuff that Michigan state, Iowa, Wisconsin were three polar bears fighting over the same sheet of ice when it came to recruiting and other things. And I think for those three programs, if one of them per year could get into that discussion and potentially get into the tournament, I think it will have major implications on the Chicagoland area where they all three just swarm. And if you can get two better recruits in that area in two years, one of them might be breaking up a pass on third down or, or blowing up a hole on, you know, in, you know, third one or something like that. So I do think that for a lot of those programs, not named Bama, Ohio state, um, you know, LSU, US, you know, USC in the future. I think that is, is going to have major impact on just a couple of recruits here and there. And of course that could lead to more staying power versus falling back, which if you don't get those recruits, of course you lose those plays in those games. I also think that they set it up so that some of the teams that, that would not normally get in when they do get in, there is a chance of success. Like 12 probably can't beat one most years, mm -hmm. but 12 can beat five a lot of years. And the thing is, if you beat five, you don't get one next. You get you get four. Mm -hmm. And you might be able to beat them too. Like, so you you could see a version of of a of football Cinderella run 
usually I think that would end at the semis. I think they get smashed in the semis by somebody. But that, I think, will make things exciting. People don't know what they're going to feel like the first time they see a 12 beat a five in a football playoff. It's going to be magical. Like, it's going to be wild. And Do you think there'll be that, any fatigue? Uh, not fatigue. I don't know if that's the right word. But everything you just said, I think, is true. I'm with mm-hmm. you on it 100%. Do you oh. think there's going to be any sort of, like, something that goes away from those wins of just, like, well, this is nice, but they're not, there's no way they can do it? Like, do you think that there's anything that is I, I a don't part know. Did you, did, were, did you feel like St. Peter's? Didn't have a good year because they they lost in the Sweet Sixteen, or no? no they lost not. in the Elite Eight, didn't they? Yeah, they went further than that. Uh, yeah, no, yeah, no, they lost I in the Elite Eight. Yeah, it's just like there was like a so, finality to it, though. You know, like a pre. But you knew you knew they were going to get smashed at some point. That's that's what Cinderella does. Like Cinderella mm-hmm. doesn't win the title. So there, she's actually the glass slipper that gets smashed. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah, yeah. But those teams, those programs, market themselves. I mean. Northern Iowa, which is about an hour and a half north of where I live, you know, Ali, um, Ali Farouk Banesh hit that shot against Kansas, which was the number one seed. And that's still living for them. And I would expect if, let's say, App State was the 12 and NC State was the five and they, oh, good and they beat NC State, that's something that they'll always remember. And, and you yeah. know, the, the one the one situation that I always come back to when I think about this, is it good or bad? Um, last year's Peach Bowl. When you had um, Michigan State playing Pitt, and of course you didn't have uh, Kenny Pickett, and you didn't have Kenneth Walker, but imagine if they were playing at, at uh, whatever Heinz Field is called now or Spartan Stadium. Put put Acrisure on your hot dogs, yeah, Scott. Acrisure. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> right, but if you're if you're playing that game, it instantly becomes maybe the biggest game on either campus, you know, campus game in history, or or uh, whereas. Playing that game in the in the Peach Bowl was just kind of a oh yeah it's a cool game to watch but I, I think what it does is it it brings a, a level of importance to the college postseason we haven't seen in a long long time because right now they've all been just consolation games Rose Bowl oh yeah it's nice but um, if there's a game that matters in the Rose Bowl then the winner advances then do it's you, a big deal do you think it's going to change the way that we evaluate coaches? Like how many times would James Franklin have made yeah. the playoff in the last? I think the Penn State's Four. the number one team, right? It, mm-hmm. it, it'll 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 adjust though. It'll it'll change the way we evaluate him at first, but that'll adjust too because you know there are and, and we can compare this to basketball. There are programs where if you make the NCAA tournament every year, that's not good enough. Like you have to go deep into the NCAA tournament, and our minds are we're not stupid. Like we adjust our expectations based on what we think should be happening. So if we think a team is a semi-final level type team and they keep getting knocked out in the first round yeah. that coach is going to be in but it's funny like how you could you talk about penn state in this example but coming into the year we talked about how he got a 10-year 100 million dollar deal when penn state fans were kind of tired of him some mm-hmm. of them were but if you frame the same exact results of the previous decade or his entire coaching tenure as four-time playoff team it kind of like feels differently than well. No, what, than, what you get is what did you do in the playoff? Because that changes it too. Like, yeah, because you have these basketball coaches like the major guys runway. who win, who have a good week in the NCAA tournament, and suddenly they're they're 
coaching at a power conference at, for three times the salary. Like, and maybe they didn't deserve it. Like, but I, I do so think that we're there's going to be like too. a 10-year adjustment period where like yeah. Penn State, for instance, if they go 10-2 and two this year and they miss the playoff, uh, they would probably be happy with that. But if they go 10-2 and two in three years and make the playoff for the first time, the feeling of that playoff season will be different than the 10 and two season that would happen now. Yeah. And I wonder great, if there'll be like a, a 10 year period for those guys, grace period of, of like, well, we made the playoff this year, even though it's yeah. the same exact season as they kept having, it is different. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see what happens, but you did bring up condiments, uh, or at least a, a field that used to be named after condiments. And we have to talk condiments because oh boy, there is a little bet going on, on this show involving a game this week, Texas and Alabama. Ari or me, one of us, is going to have to eat an entire bottle of mustard of, of Dijon Mustardson. That would be Bijan Robinson's Dijon mustard, depending on what happens. And, and so if Bama covers Ari's on mustard duty, if Texas covers I am on mustard duty, uh, the line has moved. I believe Alabama is now a 20-point favorite as we record this. Ari gets the points. So... Uh, guys, uh, some quotes that came out of Austin on Monday. Ari, I'm worried for you. Yeah. Yeah. No, Steve I'm a, Sarkeesian uh, from Bob Ballou Sports. Culture can have the opportunity to be talent when the culture is really strong. Um, He worked at Alabama. He knows their culture is better than Texas's culture, right? Like their culture is better than everybody's culture, except but you can't have Georgia. talent and a good culture, Andy. It's either one or the other. Oh, I'm sorry. How could I forget? Yeah, you can't and have so, talent and heart. It's either one wait, or the wait. other. It gets yeah. better. It gets better. Sark on facing Bama. The Longhorn Network sent this one out. Oh boy. Oh my God. I can't even believe they typed it. My goal is to be in Dallas on December third. This game has no impact on that. We don't impact them going to the SEC championship, but it's an awesome opportunity. Great setting for college football. Wow, this man is managing some expectations here. Jeez. Oh, the line should move five more points from just from that comment alone. Because is that just him saying, like, we watch the tape and we're screwed? <laughs> that is basically what he's saying, yes. That is exactly what he's saying. And he's saying, I've been in that machine. I know what it does to people. And we don't have anything like that. Oh, boy. Wait, wait. It gets better. How? Nick Saban on Monday asked about the difficulty of playing Texas with former Alabama offensive coordinator Steve Sarkeesian as their head coach. We've played several teams who know us, but you act like we don't know them. You sure you don't want pretzels with that mustard, are you? I'm so I'm I'm walking the plank here, guys. I mean, like I've been did, walking did, the plank for two weeks. I got three extra points, and I still have no shot. Did Did you see someone tweeted at us? And and I I'm going to continue doing more research on this. And if you're listening and and you know something about this, let please let us know because I want to make sure that we're not doing something we shouldn't be doing. Somebody said they had a friend eat an entire bottle of mustard. I don't know if it was on a dare or bet for money. What what it was. But that there were some some gastrointestinal distress the following days, and to check and see, make sure it's not toxic. Uh, I everything I've read, it's not toxic. It's not it, like there there is a, a chemical compound in, in in actual mustard 
and mustard gas, but what you're eating isn't doing that. Now you can get diarrhea if you eat a whole lot of mustard at once. So how many times the, uh, are you going to make me have diarrhea on the show before <laughs> you've had enough? I don't know, Ari. It's like, Am I making you? You're the one who you're the one who puts your bet. faith in Quinn. I didn't yours. take this bet. Yeah, don't you tell did. me I put my my faith. You gave me this bet. No, I'm no, 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 no. Man, at the you, end of his you, pathetic rope. You <laughs> took this bet. I, I me based on faith. two years of saying Quinn Ewers is the perfect recruit. Quinn Ewers is the highest rated recruit of all time. Stars matter. Me thinking that he has a chance to be good in his career does have nothing to do with playing Alabama in week two. I, I am toast. And you did it to me. This, this is tough love, Ari, because, you know, when you started doing this podcast, you were you were Mr. Hook'em. And I explained to you that as you grow into this role, you'll realize that Texas almost always lets you down. And even though all the conditions seem perfect for creating a dominant program, they can't ever seem to do it. And you, you were, I thought I had you convinced. And then Quinn goes to Texas, Arch commits to Texas. And you're like, oh no, I'm back. Hook them, baby. I, this is, this is tough. I love. never did that. This is getting you back I, into the I, right I, frame of mind. I flashed the hook them sign, like using comedic value. Uh, but I have never put my faith back in them to win a game since I said I was out. Now I got pulled back in a little bit about it. Like I'm excited to see how this pans out, but I'm, I've never gone fully back in. You put me back in. And it's okay, like, all right. at, at least if I'm going to give gonna, you a way out. You don't have to do it if you don't want to. No, we're doing it. All right, good. Cause uh, Bijan mailing everybody. me some mustard. Okay. Yeah. Do I, yeah. What do I need to do? Are you going to get it to Dallas for me? I'll send it to you. Don't okay. worry. Yeah, they, they've they've already reached out. They've got the address. It's in the mail. It's coming. Okay, I, I'm I'm okay. so excited, and I'm going to keep some, and I'm going to put it on my bratwurst and and whatnot. But I'm very kind. It's funny because I'm talking such a big game. I th- this podcast, we have probably guaranteed that Spencer Petrus is going to throw for 550 yards against Iowa. And just State, so you guys know, and that and that, and that Alabama is going to beat Texas by like 10, and I'm going to be chugging mustard this time Scott, next week. Scott, have you? Looked at the spread for this game, this Iowa State Iowa game. I was three and a half. <laughs> I was laying three and a half, and the over under is forty two. <laughs> so ten to six is not what Vegas thinks is going to happen. No, I, you know what? I've seen it forty four, forty one, and I've seen it nine to six. I've seen it up and down, and, and it, it goes. It, it's it's a really a strange game. So I'm I'm. <laughs> I'm feeling good about because normally when I I say take the over or take the under, I'm I'm scared of it boomeranging back and and you get that weird opposite result. I'm not worried about that. I'm like under under under. I don't know who's gonna win. Under 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 under. I mean the fact of the matter under. is is that they cannot be laying three and a half points in a rivalry game with one healthy scholarship receiver. Yeah, like that. It's like even if the game is weird, like it doesn't one. make sense. Yeah. Yeah. They have one coming back? Yeah, yeah. The, okay. the depth chart just got released. So, yeah, that, they've got another one coming back. That's, they'll get some stuff figured out. You know, maybe they'll score at least one touchdown this week. At least I the hope. The best prop is how many safeties in this game. <laughs> yeah. Over there, under three. One. 
Well, it wasn't last year. They had a defensive touchdown last year. I was trying to think. They have all kinds of them. But, you know, well, we what, can, what we makes can see this- that, too. Given, given the quality of both of these defenses, we could absolutely see defensive touchdowns, which could mm-hmm. screw up the, the over-under. But I'm still – what is it? It, it? What's the number? 42 and a half? 42. Yeah. 42. Under feels good. I like under. <laughs> 22 20 feels pretty hard to get to at this point. Yeah. I think I added 19 16 in double overtime when I was doing my season predictions, which, which would be four field goals to three field goals. You know, so I think I was going to win 56. Overtime doesn't, overtime doesn't screw this up as much anymore Mm -hmm. because you can't score a billion touchdowns. You can score at most two touchdowns in overtime now. Right. So, guys, it has been a pleasure. Again, we have guaranteed that Spencer Petrus is going to throw for 5 million yards on Saturday. So you're welcome, Spencer. <laughs> and it's going to be a fun, fun week. I cannot wait to hear what Sark says the rest of the week about <laughs> this game as he continues to try to manage our expectations. We'll see what happens at LSU. And we'll talk to you again on Thursday because you got Stars Matter coming out Wednesday. You've got Power Hour coming out later on Tuesday. You got Max and Sam on Thursday as well. It's a busy, busy week because it's a busy, busy sport. We'll talk to you later.